It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast, city to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Monday morning and welcome into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Wow, does that feel good to say. It's been a while. It's been, I believe, since we didn't do a Thanksgiving show, I believe it's exactly three weeks since the last time we were on the air. Right here, only exclusively on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And wow, does that feel good to be back. I missed you guys. Hopefully you missed me. If not, I apologize. I mean, I guess now you won't be listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network in the morning anymore. Hopefully you continue to listen throughout the day, midday, afternoon, evening. We have great shows throughout the entire lineup. Uh, but, you know, if you're not a big fan of the Ryan Hickey Show, then I apologize the last three weeks. I'm sure we're a vacation. We're a reprieve. But, unfortunately for you, we are back here. And it feels so, so good to be back. I'm very excited to say we are coming to you live, as always, from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios, whether it's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners. Check out Big Italy Pizzeria in person in Medford, Joe's Pizzeria in Bayshore, or online anywhere at BigItalyPizza.com. We have a great show for you lined up. A lot to get into, as you can imagine, three weeks off. Uh, a lot to get into, a lot of thoughts I want to spew out here over these next two hours until 11 a.m. Eastern. I know you, you're curious what happened, so full disclosure, I'll let you know. Had a little COVID close contact scare. Someone in my family tested positive. Um, since we all live in the same house, obviously that you know means, or by definition, by the CDC, that is obviously a close contact. Um, and spent the last two weeks quarantine. It's been, uh, it's been interesting. Really, I guess two and a half weeks. Um, don't even get me started about the whole quarantine process and how the math works. Um, but obviously 14 days and dep- the 14 days, let's just say, starts differently than what I expected. Um, but nonetheless, 14 days in and out, tested negative. So no big deal. Immune system stronger than the virus. Some are saying, I'm not saying it. I'm just throwing that out there. Some are saying for sure. But man, does it feel good to be back. So hopefully you're staying safe and sane out there. Um, it was tough on the sane part for sure these last two weeks. Hopefully you enjoyed some of the short videos you put out there on social media at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter or at Ryan Hickey Show on Instagram. Um, we'll continue those, hopefully, but hopefully we won't need, uh, need that too much as we are back here most of the time on Mondays and Thursdays giving you um, the lowdown in the world of sports. So let's get into it because, like I said, a jam-packed show. Packers, all of a sudden, don't look now. They're the number one seed in the NFC. If they keep that number one seed, right, if they, if they stay number one when the playoffs come, is there any team in the NFC that can go into Lambeau and defeat the Packers? We'll discuss 920, 940, some college football. Um, Florida, massive upset. That really changes now the trajectory and the importance of not only Florida's path to the playoff, but the SEC title game. And great news if you're an Ohio State fan. But I do want to kind of look at it from the Ohio State angle. Because again, just this past week when we were off, we are two prominent coaches. Dabo Sweeney, Dan Mullen. Both take shots at Ohio State. Both essentially say they don't believe Ohio State is deserving enough to be in the playoff. So we'll discuss. Does Ohio State with six games, is their resume impressive enough to get in the playoff? We'll do that at 940. Top of the second hour. Saints lose to the, to the Eagles. Jalen Hurts, and we'll get into his, um, his debut in quick hits. But I wanted to kind of talk about this from a Saints perspective. Because the report came out on Sunday that, hey, Drew Brees' return, eh, maybe not as you know, quick as we had thought. 
You know, he was supposed to come back, or was the plan was for him to come back yesterday against the Eagles. That's not going to happen. Now, all of a sudden, maybe he won't even come back for the Chiefs game. And the Saints said that they're going to be extra cautious, basically make sure he's 100% healthy before running him back on the field. Well, I think it's time for the Saints to start looking at what life is like without Drew Brees in the playoffs, which means to me a quarterback change. We'll do that at 10 a.m. Uh, Eastern time, so one hour from now, 10.20 is always quick hits. A little different. We're going to hit every game yesterday, give you my thought or two from every game. Instead of just kind of you know, taking a few highlights, we'll go every single game, um, especially the ones we don't take a real deep dive into, and give you my thoughts um, and then finally, 1040, Monday Night Football today, Ravens visiting the Browns. The revenge tour for the Browns starts tonight. I'll explain why. But as always, we appreciate you listening here on the Worldwide Sports Network. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at WWSRN underscore radio. Facebook, throw us a like, Worldwide Sports Network. We're on Twitch. The app is here, WWSRN on iOS, Worldwide Sports Network on Android. And also, throw us a like on YouTube, Worldwide Sports Network. That's a great avenue, a great resource to catch up on every show because we're live on YouTube every single, every single morning, afternoon, night, midday, weekend, whenever. Tons of shows on the Worldwide Sports Network. YouTube, we're live on there. Also, uh, our great producer, Speedy Petey, posts short clips. So if you like a segment and you want to listen back, um, he posts clips on YouTube. Which you can go back, easy listening, easy to digest, only on YouTube. So throw us a like again, Worldwide Sports Network on YouTube. So I do want to get into a jam-packed show on this Monday. I do want to start with the Steelers and the Sunday Night Football game last night. Because this is a tough spot, you know, even before the Steelers took a loss to the Washington football team last week. This is a game circled going into it where, you know what, this is going to be a great game. This is going to be a great measuring stick game for both the Bills. See how legit their, their, um, their solid season has been. And for the Steelers, this is going to be a, you know, a real playoff team. This is, going to, this is going to be a great peek into what the playoffs are going to be like for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Their offense, as we know, has not been real or has really not been great. Even struggle sometimes to be average, which whew, not what you want from this Pittsburgh team. And now coming out of that game, right, they lose 26-15. They're losers of two in a row. They're 11-2, so the sky isn't falling. They're going to get a top two, three, probably still even still a top two. They have one loss less than the Bills. They have a manageable schedule going down the stretch here. They'll be at best a two seed, at worst a three seed. Either way, they'll get a home playoff game in, uh, in the first week of playoffs. But coming out of this game, at least my big thoughts, and I'd love to hear yours again, Worldwide Sports Network on Facebook, WWSRN underscore radio on Twitter. If you're on Periscope, Worldwide Sports Network, you can comment there as well. And get your thoughts. Watching this game again, now, again, losers of two in a row. Still 11-2, and two, but losers of two in a row. This regression from Pittsburgh, this struggle on offense specifically and not allowing or not having, I should say, their defense, their historically good defense the first half of the season, not bail them out? I mean, forget reaching the Super Bowl, because that's, that's, I think, at this point, dead and gone. There's some real concerns if you're a Steelers fan that this team can't even win a playoff game. Again, forget being the biggest threat to the Chiefs. Forget trying to get to the AFC title game, getting that bye. you got to worry about winning on wild card weekend, whether it's the Colts, whether it's the Browns, whether it's the Ravens, Dolphins. That's no easy feat. That's no, oh yeah, they'll win that game. They're, they're better. They'll lock it up. This team is in real regression mode. And outside of the record, what really gives you any thought, any hope, any confidence that once the playoffs come, this team is going to just flat out win a game? I'll ask you this question. What scares you about this Steelers offense? Right, because as we know, and I did some short videos on this last week, 
Defense wins championships. That that phrase anymore is not relevant. It is not true in 2020. I, I love this quote by Nick Saban. He said it earlier, and I think it applies to college football, and I think it applies to the NFL. When Alabama beat Georgia earlier this year at home and kind of blew them out, Nick Saban postgame said, good offenses beat good defenses now. It's not a game built on great defense, slowing things down. And guess what? Nick Saban built the offensive juggernaut, or I'm sorry, built the dynasty at Alabama through defense. That was a defensive-minded team. First, run the ball, play great defense, take away what you do best in offense, and we will grind it out and win. And they won championship after championship after championship. But guess what happened? When guys like Deshaun Watson started rolling around at Clemson, when Ohio State started to get some competent quarterback play and some great athletes on offense, Nick Saban saw a change. When he lost to Ole Miss two years in a row, when he started realizing that the spread offenses, speed in college football wins, Nick Saban changed not only his defense, changed his offense. He started incorporating those spread systems. And guess what? Now when we look at Alabama, what do we talk about? Offense, wide receivers, running backs, quarterbacks, speed, impossible to cover. The game has changed. The game has switched. College football, the NFL, the same thing. Offense now wins championships. Defense wins championships is dead. So sure, the Steelers have a great defense. No doubting it. Right? But that's not, when champi- that's not what wins championships anymore. Being a defensive-minded team first. Relying on your defense to bail you out week after week after week. Relying on your defense to win games in the playoffs, try to win a Super Bowl, is not the answer. Winning games 17-14, 21-17, that's not how games are won anymore. That's not how you win championships. So again, I'll ask you, now with offenses being more important than ever, needing a competent offense, needing to put up points, needing to score more than 15 points in a game to win, what scares you about this offense that has you thinking in the playoffs, you know what, this is going to give some real team some issues? Because uh, let's just call for what it is. Nothing. The run game. <laughs> I can't even keep a straight face asking you if you are afraid of the Steelers' run game. It's impossible because they don't take it seriously. They ran for just 47 yards last night. They entered Sunday with the, force, uh, with the fourth fewest, easy for me to say, fourth fewest rushing yards per game. They've attempted the sixth least amount of rushes. So they're, now they're not having success running the ball, and they stopped even trying. Forget balance. Forget trying to establish a run game. They try to run the ball two times early on. It doesn't work to say, ah, screw it. We're going to throw the ball 45 times, 50 times. So they're just neglecting the run game at this one. Flat out. And guess what? That's not going to win you games in the playoffs. Big Ben said it last night. Big Ben, post-game last night, when discussing how this team and how this offense gets on track, said the key to getting on track is becoming more balanced on offense. You know what defenses um, can can play pass if you can't run the ball. So um, we need to to do better at, at being a more balanced offense, and we need to do better at um, executing the plays that are called. We need to be better at running the offense. Defenses are playing pass; they know it's coming, so they're not even trying to run the ball. They can't run the ball, and that's a huge issue. And guess what? You know what's even a bigger issue. Because you know what? If teams like the Chiefs can't run the ball, okay. If teams like the Packers can't run the ball, fine. You have Aaron Rodgers. You have Patrick Holmes. You have all those weapons in Kansas City. You have great receivers like Devonta Adams in Green Bay. You can get away with throwing the ball 45 times and running it 10. 
you don't really have to have a, a balanced offense run, run and pass. But when you're the Steelers, when you have Big Ben behind center, when you have these receivers, you need balance. Because, again, I'll ask you the same question. Who scares you in the run game? <laughs> no one. Who, about the, who scares you in the passing game? Which wide receiver, if you're a fan of the Colts, of the Browns, of the Ravens, right, and you start to see how the, um, the seedings are starting to line up here as we have three games left, you're starting to say, okay, maybe, you know, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll go to Pittsburgh, maybe we'll play Buffalo, maybe we'll get the Titans. And you're starting to get an idea of, of which team you're going to be playing in the playoffs, which matchup that maybe you even prefer. The Steelers are, kind of, are, are really starting to become that team where you really prefer. Because guess what? Which wide receiver keeps you up at night? The answer, no one. Deontay Johnson, two more drops last night, leads the NFL in drops. Is he really scaring you? No. Chase Claypool, now Chase Claypool's had a very solid rookie year. He really burst onto the scene. He's getting in the end zone. The thing, though, I don't feel confident in relying on a rookie receiver in the playoffs. If that's your biggest hope, right? If that's your biggest weapon, if your team hoping to have an offensive outburst and you're relying on a rookie wide receiver, I don't really like my odds of that working out for you. Juju Smith-Schuster, right? So Claypool's not scaring you. Deontay Johnson's not scaring you. Maybe Juju Smith-Schuster, right? He is the most established receiver in that wide receiver room. He has the most cachet. He has the most success so far. But is he really someone you worry about dominating a game? If you're a defensive coordinator, if you're a fan of another team playing the Steelers, are you sitting there on Sunday sweating anytime Juju Smith-Schuster, the ball is thrown in his area? Because I'm not. I'm not sitting there saying, oh, man, hope Juju doesn't kill us this week. Oh, geez, whatever we do, put 10 guys on him. we got to take him out. He's going to kill us. No, he's not. He's more dominant on TikTok than he is on the field. So, sure, let, let Juju do his dances. He'll get a few yards over the, over the middle, but he's not a guy that's going to break one. He's not a Tyreek Hill where you get him in space, forget it. He's not a deep ball throw where he's just a, a big body receiver that will just go up like Julio Jones or DeAndre Hopkins and just grab it from you. He's a pretty good receiver. I wouldn't say he's a number one wide receiver, when you look at the totality and the whole of this wide receiver room, he's not exactly a, a guy that really gives you some nightmares. How about Eric Ebron, right? A uh, tight end. As a Colts fan, I saw him in Indy up close for two years. I'll say this about Eric Ebron. See Deontay Johnson. Drops, drops, drops. So if you can't run the ball, if no one in the passing game is scaring you from the wide receiver tight end perspective, the quarterback isn't even... You know, you're not shaking your boots going against Big Ben. Because guess what? He continues to look old. I had my questions, and I'll be honest. The Steelers, I, I can confidently say I was both right and wrong about it. Here's what I mean by that. The Steelers, I picked to finish third before the season started. I thought the Ravens were going to win the division. That's wrong. I thought the Browns were going to finish second again to the playoffs. I thought the Steelers were going to be third. I had the Steelers around 7-9, and 8-8. Eight and eight because... Again, this offense, no one really scares you. There's no dynamic playmaker. This is the first time Big Ben's going to be playing a full season without either Le'Veon Bell or Antonio Brown. Think about that. He played a game and a half last year. And speaking of which, he missed essentially the entire season with an elbow injury. I don't think he's going to come back, look sharp, look good. And you know what? Early on, he looked solid. I think before everyone caught on, before the running game really came to a screeching halt, the Steelers' uh, offense was having some success. But now as you watch, Ben, as the season gets longer, as the games turn, as the weather gets colder, and defenses now realize what the Steelers are trying to do, such as throw the ball 45, 50 times a game, Big Ben's not scaring to you. He's not a guy you're worried about dicing you, slicing you, and beating you. He's catching the ball and throwing it. That, this offense is catch and throw. 
Catch the ball, boom. Catch the ball, boom. Catch the ball, boom. Five-yard slant. 10-yard curl. Three-yard underneath route. And none of these receivers are, are breaking it to really scare you. He's the fourth lowest average completed air yards, meaning when he throws the ball, it's not going far. So he's not throwing it deep. There's no real deep threat. These receivers aren't game-breaking where they're not going to catch a, a three-yard pass and turn it into a 50-yard gain. The Steelers' offense doesn't scare you. They're coming out of this Bills game. I don't take the Steelers as a, or an intimidating opponent in the playoffs. So again, if, if you're the Colts watching this, if you're the Browns, if you're the Ravens, if you're the Dolphins, you come out of that game preferring to play the Steelers over the Bills. That's where the Steelers have gone. That's where the, the Pittsburgh Steelers have fallen. From 11-0 to now a preferable playoff matchup. So I'm curious your thoughts. Are the Steelers a playoff threat in your mind? Am I overreacting to two games? They lost to the Washington football team. They lost outside to the Bills. Are they still even a threat in your mind? Can they have a chance to win the Super Bowl? And are they a playoff threat? If you're a fan of, like I said, the, the Colts, Browns, Ravens, Dolphins, as a Colts fan myself, I'm not intimidated by the Steelers. Going to Heinz Field maybe three weeks ago sounded like a daunting task. Anyone but Pittsburgh, maybe. Now? Forget everyone else. I want Pittsburgh. So I'm curious your thoughts. Again, are the Steelers a real playoff threat? Can they still win the Super Bowl in your mind? Worldwide Sports Network on Facebook. WWSRN underscore radio on Twitter. Or you want to tune me directly at Ryan Hickey Show. We'll get your thoughts. And speaking of playoff matchups next, I'm really excited about this topic. Because don't look now. The Green Bay Packers are first in the NFC North. And flat out first in the NFC. Is there any team in the NFC that could beat the Packers in Lambeau? We'll discuss that next. It is the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We are back here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network on this Monday morning. Three weeks off. It is so good to be back talking some sports with you right here, as always, on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Steelers. Regression is real, and they've turned into a team that I think teams are starting to line up to want to play. When you look at Buffalo and you say, you know what, going up to Buffalo trying to beat the Bills, that's going to be a tough task. Titans at home. Titans, you never know what you're going to get. But when it comes to the Steelers, when you look at possible playoff matchups here, if you're a wild card team, Pittsburgh, I think, is one you're circling. This offense doesn't scare. The defense has regressed a tiny bit. That's also because they were playing at such a high level. It was almost unsustainable to be playing that good. And now when you need the Steelers' defense to essentially almost pitch a shutout or hold teams to a touchdown or 10 points, if you want a chance to win the game, you feel pretty good about going into Pittsburgh and winning that game. So forget Super Bowl. Forget being the biggest threat to the Chiefs. Forget even trying to get to the AFC title game. This Steelers team now, you lose first place in the AFC. You lose the bye currently. This is a team that I think is going to be reeling. And will be even lucky to win a game in the playoffs now. That's how bad it's gotten. This offense does nothing to scare you. So I'm curious to thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. If you can comment on the Periscope, if you like. Tweet at WWSR underscore radio. Tweet me at Ryan Hickey Show right on Facebook again, Worldwide Sports Network on the live stream. Are the Steelers a playoff threat in your mind? Are you concerned if you are a fan of, a, of the Colts, of the Browns, of the Ravens, of the Dolphins, and you start circling or looking at the landscape of the AFC, saying, you know what, a first-round match at Pittsburgh? Okay, let's go. 
I'm feeling good about my team's chances. I like that matchup. Feeling even a few weeks ago, again, there are some questions about their legitimacy, but when they're 9-0, when they're 10-0, and they go, okay, you know what? That's still going to be a, a tough matchup. They're doing something right. They're figuring it out. But now I think the kryptonite has been, has been, or at least thrown out there, I should say. And the Steelers have struggled to respond. So, again, can the Steelers even win a playoff game? Are they a threat in your mind? Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSR, and underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show, also on Twitter. We're going to do some more Thursdays. It popped up really quick on my timeline I want to share before um, we move on to the Packers. That is, I guess, apparently now, James Harden, despite the John Wall trade two weeks ago, despite now reporting to Rockets training camp, still wants out of Houston. The John Wall trade was not enough to quell his, his want to get traded. He's expanded his list, which, again, James Harden's preferred list of teams to get traded for is like me going to my boss and preferring I have a salary of a million dollars. Errol, if you're listening, I prefer a salary of a million dollars, please. I have no leverage to get the million dollars. Arrow has no real reason to give me a million dollars. Just like the Rockets, because James Harden's under contract for, I believe it's at least three years, they have no incentive, they, know, they have no reason to trade James Harden. He's not going to be free agent at the end of the year. There's a whole much leverage. So if you're, if you're the Rockets, you laugh at James Harden now opening his, uh, his possible teams to get traded for, opening up his list from just the Nets, to the Sixers, to the Bucks, to the Heat. I believe it's like six teams now. So again, just like me or, or you going to your boss and saying, I prefer a salary of a million dollars a year, boss will probably laugh at you. I'm sure the Rockets are laughing at James Harden as he opens up his preferred teams list to allow a few more options to get out of Houston. But again, I guess now breaking news or just a, a re-report and that we're all kind of assuming anyway that James Harden still wants out of Houston. We'll get to more of that on Thursday because a lot of NFL stuff I want to get into here um, before we get out of here at 11 a.m. Eastern. Don't look now. The Green Bay Packers, with their win over the Lions, 31-24, with the Saints losing to the Eagles yesterday as well, not only do the Packers wrap up the NFC North for the second straight year, not only are they 10-3 and on the season, sneaky 10-3, and they took over the top spot in the NFC. Because they beat the Saints in the Dome earlier this year, right, in a head-to-head matchup, they take over first place in the NFC. And remember, with seven teams, there's only one bye this year. So not only do you get home field throughout the playoffs, you also get a bye. You're only playing two games to get to the Super Bowl instead of three. So I want to throw this question out there, because now I think it's a, a question that we really have. Excuse me. Oh, man. Excuse me. I'm still trying to get the kinks out. We haven't really thought about, at least for me, I, I don't want to say you guys. For me personally, I haven't really taken the Packers maybe as seriously as I should have in terms of being a real threat in the NFC. It's wide open as we know. I my doubts about almost every single team here. But I, I feel confident in saying this going forward. If the Packers hold the NFC top spot after Week 17, if they are the number one seed going into the playoffs, I don't think anyone is going into Lambeau and beating them. Maybe the Seahawks. I give them the best chances, but still, I don't really feel confident picking Seattle in that game. Is there any team in the NFC that can go into Green Bay and beat the Packers in December? Because I don't think so. This is getting dangerously close to where if the Packers get home field in the playoffs, if they get the number one seed, I think they're going to the Super Bowl. I really do. I know it's, it's probably stupid to say that with the NFC changing the flavor of the month, basically being the flavor of the week. Saints win a game, they're the top team. 
Seahawks look good. They're the top team. Packers, again, same thing. They're the top team. And then one of those teams loses a bad game. They, they get exposed. Seahawks lose to the Giants. Packers kill themselves, lose to the Colts. Drew Brees gets hurt for the Saints. It's been a rotating door at the top for sure. The Rams have some impressive wins at some point. But I feel confident. If the Packers get the top seed in the NFC, I don't think anyone's going in there and beating them. I'll ask you, which team in the NFC do you have confidence in, do you think could go into Lambeau in January and beat the Packers? Is it going to be Drew Brees and the Saints? Brees, 41 years old, coming off rib injuries, which, again, according to the latest report that we heard on Sunday, Saints aren't rushing him back. There's no real timetable. We don't even know when Drew Brees is going to return. So now do you think an injured Drew Brees, who maybe at best is 100%, but may not even have a, a regular season game to get the rust off before entering the playoffs, can go into frozen Lambeau and beat the Packers and Aaron Rodgers? The Rams? Can that team, with Jared Goff, who, let's be honest, Sean McVay doesn't even really trust as far as he can throw him, do you trust Jared Goff to make enough throws over Aaron Rodgers in January to beat the Packers and move on. Buccaneers. Tom Brady, is, as we know, he, he's played in the Northeast. He knows what it's like to play games in the cold and win in the cold. But he's struggling with the deep ball this year. Again, the Buccaneers offense still seems out of whack, out of sync. There's a Tampa Bay team who, despite Tom Brady, most of them haven't really played in cold weather climates. I don't think they, they can go into Lambeau and win. The Cardinals? Their offense has hit the skids these last four games. And again, another warm-weather team that I don't see going into Lambeau and winning. I think the Seahawks have the most potential of anybody. There's one team I would say, all right, you got to pick a team that could go and beat the Packers. I think it is the Seahawks. Now, look, they played last year. Both of these teams, I think, are, are markedly better this year than last year. But still, the Packers won that game. Say what you want about Russell Wilson and this offense looking better this year. Aaron Rodgers and this offense is looking better this year. So let's also look at it and discuss it from this perspective, right? So, again, you have the Saints, the Rams, the Buccaneers, the Cardinals. Four of the five teams, because we're not even going to – the NFC East is just there. Giants, Washington football team, I'm sorry, zero confidence they'll even win a playoff game, let alone even get to the point where they're playing the Packers and Lambeau. So I'm uh, keeping them out. So five teams out of the seven, right, or five teams out of the six that have chances to go to Lambeau. Four of them coming out of warm weather climates. Cardinals, Buccaneers, Rams, Saints. I think that is a real factor. Gives the Packers a significant edge at any other home field, despite, again, having no fans in any of these stadiums or, or extremely limited fans. Lambeau in January is the biggest home field advantage any team in the playoffs has. Think about it. In the AFC, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Baltimore still are used to playing in the elements. So, again, going into Arrowhead in chilly January is not as intimidating for most of these teams. You have no teams that are used to dealing with the elements. You have a lot of dome, warm-weather teams that thrive on speed, that thrive on warm climates. It is the biggest home field advantage any team could have in the NFC is the Packers at home in January. So that put that aside, right? Let's just, let's just keep that there, table that for a second. So going to Lambeau is going to be tough compared to any other home field in the playoffs this year. Now imagine going to Lambeau in January when you're the Saints, when you're the Rams, when you're the Buccaneers, when you're the Cardinals. 
then going to have to go against an Aaron Rodgers-led team when Aaron Rodgers having a career year. Don't look now. Don't look now. Aaron Rodgers not only is, again, lying at the scoreboard, three touchdown passes, four total touchdowns against the Lions yesterday. He's on track to not only have a career season, he could be in the driver's seat for the MVP this year. Look out. Here comes Aaron Rodgers. He's now up to 39 touchdowns, leads the NFL, four interceptions. And on, I, if we want to stretch this out for the last three games, right, extrapolate what he's done so far into a 16-game sample size. He is on pace for 45 touchdown passes, a career high. He's on pass for, to throw for 4,535 yards. That would be second highest in his career, 100 yards, so just 100 yards short of his 2011 career high when he won the MVP. So now, again, having to go into a frozen Lambeau field in January is tough enough for a lot of these teams that come from domes, that come from warm weather climates. Now you also have to go against Aaron Rodgers, who, as we know, is elite, is one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And now he's having arguably his best season he's ever had. Think about that. Do you know how hard that is for any defense? To try to slow down Aaron Rodgers. <sighs> Most touchdown passes on track four in his career. 100 yards short of setting a new career high in passing yards if he continues on this trajectory. So who's going in there and beating the Packers? Because I don't see anyone doing it. Green Bay 5-1 and one at home this year. They're averaging 31.5 points per game at home. Just at home. So again... Is it Drew Brees coming off injured ribs who we're not even guaranteed that he will start in the playoffs? There's a real chance he might miss the playoffs, and we'll get to that in 40 minutes or 20 minutes. What am I doing? Can't do any math here. Still trying to knock the rust off. I apologize. 25 minutes. <laughs> I said three different times. I am so sorry. But this is real. So if you want to be exact at my clock, 24 minutes, 10 o'clock Eastern. We're getting to the Saints. But there's no guarantee Drew Brees is playing. Again, the Cardinals' offense has hit the skids. The Rams, I don't trust Jared Goff to outduel Aaron Rodgers in a frozen Lambeau field. Buccaneers, same thing. I don't trust his offense. They have to go toe to toe against this Packers defense, uh, this Packers offense. I'm taking Aaron Rodgers in that over Tom Brady. The Seahawks have the potential again, but they also have the worst passing secondary in the NFL. That defense and that secondary specifically is a liability. So, yeah, I'll take Aaron Rodgers in that matchup over Russell Wilson again. So don't look now. But the Packers are, are this close, I think, to booking their ticket to Tampa Bay. They are this close. Look at their remaining schedule. Panthers, Titans, at the Bears. Two winnable games, if not three. They'll be favored in all three. Saints schedule, Chiefs at home, loss. Vikings at Panthers. So even if they go 2-1, and one, all the Packers have to do is go 2-1. and one. They have the tiebreaker. Saints are really behind the eight ball here. So this is looking more and more like the Packers are going to get the number one seed in the NFC. And if that's the case, if that happens, it's a major advantage for them. And I'm telling you, I don't see any team going to Lambeau and winning. So if the NFC wants to keep it wide open, right? I even wrote an article two weeks ago. 
highlighting how wide open the NFC is, right? I, I gave one reason why there's reason to believe this team could go all the way to the Super Bowl. I gave one reason why there should not be believed. You know, that's a major concern that will hold them back from playing in the Super Bowl. That, all, all that wide openness, that parity, if you will, I think is gone if the Packers have home field in the playoffs. So I'm curious your thoughts. I laid it out. I, I have no team. I can really foresee no team in the NFC going into the Lambeau in January and winning. Is there any team in your mind that you think can beat the Packers in Green Bay in the playoffs? I'd love to hear who and why. So again, comment on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show, also on Twitter if you want to tweet me directly. Which team could go into Lambeau and beat the Packers in the playoffs? For me, the answer is none, but I would love to hear your thoughts. So get your thoughts on when we come back. Ohio State, are they deserving? Is six games enough for them to be considered for the playoff? Two prominent college football coaches say no. I'll tell you why I say yes next. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back Welcome to the back Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Ryan Hickey Show back with you on this Monday morning. Fired up to be here. Talking about the Packers. Can any team in the NFC go into Lambeau and knock off the Packers in the playoffs? I'm saying no. They have by far the biggest home field advantage of any team in the NFC. And thus, if they get the number one seed, if they get a bye, and more importantly, they get home field throughout the entirety of the playoffs... I don't really foresee any team going into there, uh, going into Green Bay and beating the Packers. Aaron Rodgers having a career year in the driver's seat for the MVP. Point to me one team and why you think they will win. I, I can't see a reason, to be honest. But I, I'm open to discussion. I'm open to thought. That's why I love having you guys engage in the show. I love throwing out questions to you because a lot of you are smarter than me. I see things through one prism. You see things differently. That's what I love, again, throwing it out to you and getting your feedback. So, again, Worldwide Sports Network on Facebook, WWSRN underscore radio on Twitter, at Ryan Hickey Show, also on Twitter. Is there any team in the NFC could go into Lambeau Field and knock off the Packers in the playoffs? Again, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Comment on Facebook, Twitter, um, Worldwide Sports Radio Network uh, on both. And we'll get your thoughts. So, I do want to get some college football in here because, again, like I, I mentioned before, two prominent head coaches are making a case that Ohio State shouldn't or doesn't deserve, I should say, to be in the playoff. I kind of want to bring up the topic in this perspective and throw this question out there first before I get into my thoughts. Why do you go to sporting events, NBA game, baseball game, a college football game, an NFL game, any, any sporting event, right? track and field, whatever tickles your fancy in terms of going to a live sporting event, why do you go? Because there's not just one reason why people go. Different reasons, right? Maybe you enjoy the tailgating scene. So you know what? Gorgeous day. Rather be outside. Let's go hang out with a few friends, have a few drinks, have a few, you know, burgers, dogs, whatever. Have a good time. Use the game as the excuse to hang out and have some good times, right? Maybe it's a nice day out. 
We want to get out of the house. Oh, a ball game sounds great. Football game, baseball game. Let's go, you know, enjoy this great weather. Let's go watch a game. Maybe the food, right? Some stadiums have some incredibly good food. Maybe it's an opposing player. Oh, LeBron James is coming to town. We've got to watch him. Oh, man, Patrick Holmes, he's leading the Chiefs in. Let's go watch them. Forget the Jets. Let's go watch a, a great team play in our building. Tons of reasons to go to games, right? No one, not everyone goes to games. 80,000 fans don't go to the game for the same reason. For me, personally, I'll tell you for my reasoning. My reasoning is to watch my team win. I love tailgating, don't get me wrong. I love drinking a lot. I love eating a lot of food. Especially if some good teams roll in. I love watching, you know, some just pure great talent on the field. But I go there, I go to games with the intention of watching my team win. If they don't win, if they lose, the tailgate could be, could be great. The food could be excellent. The, the people I go with could, they could be a blast. If I, if I go to the game and my team loses, to be honest, my mood is killed. The entire day is ruined. Call it psychopathic. That's totally fair. But yes, I go to games to watch my team win. If they don't win, it's miserable. So I bring that up because, again, people go to sporting events for different reasons. I bring that up to ask you this question about the college football playoff. What's the purpose of the college football playoff? Some people, and again, just like going to sporting events, there are different reasons for why people think teams should get into the playoff. Is it to reward teams for a great season? Oh, man, this team came out of nowhere. They had a few good wins. Let's throw a bone. Let's let them get to the ultimate stage and really reward them as a pat on the back. Say, hey, great season. For me, it's to determine the best team in college football for that season. The playoff is used to pick the four best teams, play each other, and then say at the end, that is the greatest team in college football. So for me, the criteria of, of putting teams in the playoff is the four best teams. And I bring that up because, again, I just teased it before. The question is, is Ohio State worthy of competing for that title? Have they done enough? Have they shown enough to where they deserve to be in the same conversation, to compete for the same championship that Alabama's competing for, that Notre Dame is competing for, that Clemson is competing for? They're 5-0 currently. They have two wins over ranked opponents. They play a third-ranked opponent on Saturday. They should win Northwestern. That should move them to 6-0, three wins over ranked opponents. For me, Ohio State has done enough. The Buckeyes, watching them with the eye test, seeing who they've beaten, seeing how the rest of college football played, there's no real question. I'm honestly shocked this is even a topic. Because to me, Ohio State fits the bill. They check the boxes that say, you know what, this is one of the four best teams in the country. And I'm personally in the business of putting the four best teams in the college football playoff. But not everyone, like I said, just like going to sporting events, not everyone has that same belief. The playoff is for different reasons. And if you're Clemson head coach Dabo Sweeney, Dabo Sweeney, when speaking on the Rich Eisen show that I'm about to play right here, believes, you know what? The playoff isn't about putting the overall straight-up four best teams in the playoff. Here's Dabo Sweeney again last week on the Rich Eisen show. You know, anytime you step in, in between the lines in the game of football, there's a lot that can happen. There has to be some type of standard. And um, if I was on a committee, mm-hmm. it would be hard for me to leave out a 10-1 and Texas A&M or a 11-game Florida team, you know, over a team that's played six games. That would be hard for me. It doesn't mean they're not a great team and could win the whole thing. I just think that there has to be, from a big-picture standpoint, I would lean toward rewarding the teams that have, have been all in. 
So, again, that was last week. That was before Florida lost. So he's not saying Florida should be in despite losing to LSU. But if you just heard Dabo Sweeney there, right, he was asked about does Ohio State deserve to be in the playoff after playing six games. Dabo Sweeney, in that clip I just played, you said, quote, doesn't mean they aren't a great team and could win the whole thing. He also used the, the phrase rewarding. So, again, like I just said, people go to sporting events for different reasons. Coaches, in their mind, the playoff is for different reasons than just the fact, the mere fact of putting the four flat-out best teams in the playoff. Because are we in the business of rewarding teams who lost a few games, weren't one of the best teams in the country, but you know what? They had a fun year. They had a cool year. Let's throw them a bone. They got a nice win. Have they looked impressed the rest of the season? No. Do they play a top-four team and get their doors blown off in Texas A&M? Yes. But you know what? Let's reward them because they played a few more games. That's it. Not that they're the four, you know, one of the four best teams. Dabo Sweeney in that clip never said one time, Texas A&M deserves to be in the playoff because they are one of the four best teams. His basis is that they played more games than Ohio State. Now, sure, Florida is an example where, you know, you play more games, maybe you get tripped up. Maybe. But if that's, the, if that's the logic and reasoning, that Ohio State didn't play enough games, there wasn't enough trap games for the Buckeyes to hold them out, then what are we really doing here? Because, again, I'm in the business of putting the four best teams in the college football playoff, and Ohio State is in that category. There's a few reasons. Let's go with the stats, right? Because there's a, different, a bunch of different metrics that we can use to say, you know what, this team is one of the four best. I'll lay out all the metrics why I believe so right now. Stats. Right? Wouldn't you say stats would back up or at least like, give you an idea of, okay, how does this team stat-wise compare to the rest of the country? A lot of these averages are by per game. So sure, Ohio State played six games, or five games technically, but you could see on a per game average how they are playing compared to everybody else who's played a little more games. Well, the stats say that Ohio State is one of the best teams in the country. The Buckeyes are fourth in total offense. In terms of power five schools, only Alabama is ahead of them. A few max schools in there. So fourth in total offense in the entire country, only Alabama out of the Power Five is ahead of them. How about touchdown passes per game? Averaging three touchdown passes per game, sixth in the country. They're ahead of, in that category, they're ahead of Alabama, they're ahead of Clemson, they're ahead of Notre Dame, they're ahead of Texas A&M. So they're passing the ball and throwing more passing touchdowns than all the other teams we're talking about that with consideration in the playoff. Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, A&M. Seventh in the country in terms of rushing yards per game, but first of all Power 5 teams. So in terms of the big-time programs, in terms of the programs we're used to watching day in and day out, Ohio State is the best rushing offense of any team in the Power 5. And they throw more passing touchdowns Ohio State does than Clemson, Notre Dame, Texas A&M, Alabama. So stats-wise, they're there. They're in. But like I said, Dabo Swinney wasn't the only head coach that took a shot at Ohio State that doesn't believe that they're in the playoff. Dan Mullen. Uh, we really shouldn't be surprised that Dan Mullen is feeling this way. But his Florida team, a 23-point favorite at home against a three-win LSU team that had anyone with talent, anyone with NFL hopes opt out, get injured, or not play on Saturday specifically. That, you know, you think, all right, just going to pack it in, 
get their doors blown off, and, and let's let's roll on here. Instead, Florida, with everything to play for, playoff hopes well alive, in control of their own destiny, lost the game. And instead of taking blame, instead of owning up responsibility, you know what Dan Mullen did post-game on Saturday night? He took a shot at Ohio State. I know we've played 10 games, right? So I guess probably the best thing to do would have been to play less games because you seem to get rewarded for not playing this year in college football. But I tell you what, I give our guys a lot of credit, the competitors our guys are, that they want to go out there and compete every single week. Dan Mullen, we should have played less games. Hey, buddy, how about first of all, you don't lose as a 23-point favorite home to LSU. LSU is one of the worst teams this year. Again, everyone with talent on that team last year is gone. Both coordinators gone. And still, you let a three-win LSU team ruin your season. Ruin your season. Really, a shoe toss. (laughs) Ruin your year. But hey, the shoe fits, right? Okay, so Dan Mullen takes a shot at the Ohio State schedule again, just like Dabo Sweeney. He thinks Ohio State didn't play enough games. But let's also look at Ohio State's schedule. They're playing six games, including the Northwestern game this week. Their schedule hasn't been a cakewalk. They're not playing the Little Sisters of the Poor five times. ESPN-FPI. It's a formula that ESPN has that measures really a true team strength of schedule because they add in a lot of different metrics and and real-time measures that take into account how teams are playing. So it's not just the the mere fact of, hey, this team is 3-0. You played a 3-0 team, that, that's, that's a good, you know, a tough team. Because, again, each record is different. The Steelers are 11-2. We know the Steelers aren't a good 11-2 team compared to maybe the Packers, who are 10-3. We do, I think flat out we could say objectively the Packers right now are a better team than the Steelers, despite the fact that the Steelers have more wins. So, again, each record you got to take with a, a little bit of a grain of salt. So ESPN and FBI basically use a lot of different metric, metrics to formulate a strength of schedule ranking. So in that ranking, right, Alabama, number one. They have the toughest strength of schedule according to ESPN FPI this year. 10-0, 10 wins. Number two, Ohio State. The Buckeyes, according to ESPN FBI, have the second hardest strength of schedule in the entire country. Ahead of Clemson, who's number three. Ahead of Notre Dame, number six. Florida, number eight. Uh, A&M, excuse me, Texas A&M at number 10. So they're playing a tough schedule, despite, sure, they're playing less games than everybody else. They're playing an equally, if not harder schedule than any other team outside of Alabama. Let's look at those ranked matchups that, that finally here, that every team in the playoff is looking for, right? Because that's, again, it's all about who you beat. Who have you beat? Alabama, they've had four ranked matchups. They're going to have four. They beat A&M. They beat Georgia. They beat Auburn. They're 3-0 currently. They'll play Florida this weekend. Should win that game. They should go to 4-0 against all four ranked teams they play. Clemson, they've had two ranked matchups so far. Notre Dame-Miami, they're 1-1. They'll play Notre Dame again this weekend. Notre Dame, they've also played three. North Carolina and Clemson, again, they'll play Clemson this weekend, but they're 2-0. So Alabama won every game they played against a ranked opponent. Clemson 1-1 one one against ranked teams. Notre Dame 2-0. Texas A&M has played two ranked opponents. Lost by 28. Yes, 28 to Alabama. A team that people want to put into the playoff of Ohio State. If that's the case, it would be the four seed and play Alabama. Guess what? We've seen that before. 
Aggies got blown off the field. Again, they lost to Alabama by 28. They beat Florida by three. So they're currently one and one. They have no more ranked matchups left. They play Ole Miss, big deal. So they have two matchups. And Ohio State has played three or will play three ranked matchups. They beat Penn State by 13. Again, obviously, as we know, Penn State not worthy of being ranked, but at the time they were, and they beat them, beat Indiana by seven at home. So they've played the second most ranked teams, and they've won every game, something only Alabama and Notre Dame can claim. So what other argument could be out there to use that saying Ohio State objectively is not one of the four best teams? Because I don't see it. And this is coming from a Penn State alum, a Penn State fan. I hate Ohio State. I don't want to see them win. But at the same time, common sense has to be used here. What are we really talking about? So they didn't play an extra two or three games against Maryland, against Michigan, against Illinois. Are are we serious here? So we're going to put Texas A&M in on a mere technicality because they played two extra games. Forget the fact that they got blown off the field by a playoff team that they played by 28 points. That, assuming, again, Alabama beats Florida, and let's say Ohio State was left out, A&M would be playing Alabama in the first round of the playoff. We've seen that before. Guess how it went. Couldn't even hold their jock straps. So it's not even really a discussion in my mind. Ohio State is more than worthy of making the playoff. Sure, they played less games. They're only, only going to play six. But in, those, in that short sample size, to me, without a doubt, they showed they're one of the best teams. Oh, the, the committee believes so because they haven't moved them from four. And I think, again, assuming they take care of business, they'll be in the playoff. But Dabo Swinney doesn't believe so. Dan Mullen doesn't believe so. So I'm curious your thoughts. Despite playing only six games on the season, is Ohio State worthy of making the playoff in your mind? Should the Buckeyes at 6-0 get in over A&M? Really, that's it. An undefeated Cincinnati team, if you will, if you want to get real crazy here. But is the discussion in your mind, is it worthy? I mean, it's not even a question. Ohio State, by far, one of the four best teams in the playoff. For me, the playoff is determining the best team in the country. Ohio State deserves to be in that field to have that chance. So get your thoughts. Worldwide Sports Network on Facebook. WWSRN underscore radio on Twitter. At Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter. So when we come back, hour number two. Is it time for Jameis in New Orleans? I'll discuss why, to me, the answer is yes. When the Ryan Hickey Show returns right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Hour number two of the Ryan Hickey Show. We are back after a three-week hiatus. In case you missed the beginning of the show, had a little COVID scare, close contact, had to quarantine for two weeks. All good. Tested negative, thankfully. So we're staying safe and saying hopefully you are as well. I miss you guys. Hopefully uh, you miss me back. If not, well, I guess I'm in big trouble. Uh, I guess, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Big trouble for sure. But as always, coming to you live from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios. Great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinner. Check out Big Italy Pizzeria. If you're in person in Medford, 
Joe's Pizzeria in the great town of Bayshore, or online anywhere at BigItalyPizza.com. There we go. There's a, there's a pause I did not expect. So we're having some computer issues. I was a little nervous. You know, I had to three weeks off. I had to dust off the old computer, get my bearings again, get used to setting everything up. But so far, knock on wood, still a long way to go, but so far, no issues, and we are rolling here for our number two. So in case you missed it, can anyone beat, or at least in the first hour we discussed, can anyone beat the Packers and Lambeau? Packers right now first in the NFC. We get a bye, we get home field advantage. Is there any team you think could go into Lambeau and win? For me, the answer is no. I don't see how it's possible. I don't see it happening. So the Packers, if they can get home field in the playoffs, to me are going to the Super Bowl. Steelers' regression is real. I think now all of a sudden they become a palatable and a team you circle that you want to play in the playoffs, a desirable matchup. And also Ohio State, despite playing six games, do they belong in the college football playoff? Dabo Sweeney, Dab Mullen say no. I say hell yes. Stats back it up. Strength of schedule backs it up. Ranked uh, wins over ranked opponents backs it up. Every metric you want to use to evaluate the best four teams in the country, Ohio State checks those boxes. So the answer for me is yes, they're in. But again, I'm curious your thoughts. So if any of those thoughts you have, any, any takes, any, any firing opinions that you want to share with the world, write on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network. Write on Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. Tweet me directly if you want at Ryan Hickey Show as well. We'll get those tweets or read those comments on the air before we get out of here at 11 a.m. Eastern. But kind of going and similar to the topic that we had on earlier about the Packers, right? If they get the number one seed um, in the NFC, I don't think anyone's going to go into Lambeau and win. One of the teams that we thought had a good chance to go to the Super Bowl, thought had a, a really complete team and a championship squad was the New Orleans Saints. As we know, Drew Brees cracked and fractured 11 ribs, had a, a punctured lung. He's been out. Taysom Hill's been at quarterback. And the Saints were 3-0 before they suffered their first loss yesterday to the Eagles 24-21. And I, I want to bring this game up and bring up Taysom Hill specifically because now I think the Saints are really starting to get into position where I think, you know what, they got to start contemplating that Taysom Hill is not going to just going to be a quick fix here. This is not going to be a two- or three-game stretch, and then we're going to bring Drew Brees back for the stretch run. Because Adam Schefter, early yesterday morning, reported that the Saints are in no rush to bring Drew Brees back. They want him to make a full recovery, throw without any limitations, and have complete range of motion before bringing him back into the fold, putting him back under center. Essentially, they want to ensure that he is fully healthy. If he gets hit again, he won't go out. Won't injure himself anymore, especially when you talk about fractured ribs and a punctured lung. That's serious compared to, you know, a stinger on the shoulder or a knee injury or an arm injury, right? So, you know, maybe you don't want to, you know, that could could turn serious if not, if not um, taken care of completely. And more importantly, Schefter reported there's no timetable for his return. Again, when, we, when Drew Brees initially got hurt, it was initially stated that he was going to miss a game. I was in favor, but I thought it made sense to start Taysom Hill. I did a, a monologue on it just a few weeks ago. Before the decision came out, I said, if you're the Saints, if you're Sean Payton, you've talked about Taysom Hill so much. You said repeatedly you believe he's a franchise quarterback. You paid him, so you put your money where your mouth is. Now's the time where you put Taysom Hill out there and see what he has. But now, to me, because of the uncertainty of Drew Brees' return, the Saints have to start looking at what life is like without Drew Brees 
in the playoffs. And now because of that, I think it's time the Saints start Jameis Winston and prepare for worst-case scenario, break glass if emergency situation. So like I said, it made sense to start Taysom Hill in the interim, right? At, at first thought, when Drew Brees went on IR, we thought it was going to be three games. Okay, Taysom Hill's going to have three, maybe four games. Show what he has. Drew Brees is going to come back. He'll be healthy. He'll play the last two, three, four games down the stretch here and be ready to go for the playoffs. So that way you're juggling your future, right? You're seeing what you have in Taysom Hill. Could be he be your guy next year? We all know Drew Brees is going to retire after the season. Again, when Sean Payton paid Taysom Hill to be a quarterback, he's the second highest paid backup quarterback in the NFL. You're not throwing that money for a gadget guy. So Sean Payton really believes in Taysom Hill. It could be a winning NFL quarterback. So you could play him in the short term, be competitive, and then, again, set the table for Drew Brees to come back. But to me, I agree with starting Taysom Hill on the contingency and the assumption that Drew Brees would come back for the stretch run in the playoffs. But now, again, just as Adam Schefter reported, that timetable has changed, and with that timetable changing, my opinion of the Saints' starting quarterback has changed as well. Remember, the initial expectation, the initial timetable, when he went back in IR, he was going to miss three games, he was going to be eligible and be healthy to come back yesterday. Yesterday. The plan was for him to, to face the Eagles, come back, and be ready to go. Well, obviously, that didn't happen. Okay, fine. The Chiefs game, right? We'll be extra cautious, wait an extra game, head back for the Kansas City game this Sunday. Well, now, with that report yesterday, to me, I, you know, reading between the lines, Drew Brees is not going to be returning this Sunday for the Chiefs. So if he misses this game, this upcoming game, quick math here. I'm not great on the spot with math, but I'll try. If he misses this game against the Saints, that'll be, or sorry, against the Chiefs, my apologies. So if Drew Brees doesn't play against the Chiefs, which it doesn't seem like he's going to be able to play against the Chiefs, that'll mean the Saints have played 14 games this year. Quick math, 16 game schedule, 16 minus 14, 2. There's only two games left to get Drew Brees back, healthy, and ready to play for the playoffs. Time is ticking. And now, with the Packers overtaking them for the number one seed, having the tiebreaker, so if they finish with the same record, the Packers will win the tiebreaker and thus keep the number one seed. It's trending. Like the, pa- uh, like the Saints are going to be playing on wild card weekend. So now, when you are dangerously close to the playoffs, with an unknown with your franchise quarterback on his health and his return. Because, again, this is not a normal injury. This is not an injury where we know a normal timetable is, like a torn ACL, like an injured shoulder, like uh, an ankle injury, right? We have basically, because we've seen almost every injury in the book and a lot of these injuries are recurring, we have estimated and accurate timetables for return. Some players heal uh, faster, some players heal slower, but for the most part, we know, okay, sprained ankle, two weeks, give or take. For fractured ribs and a punctured lung, there is no real timetable. Every person reacts differently. So now, if I'm the Saints, you got to really start considering, you know what? We may not have Drew Brees for the playoffs. An injured Drew Brees might not even be our best option for the playoffs, as crazy as that sounds. If he doesn't have a chance to play in the regular season, knock some of the rust off. That's a dangerous proposition to have Drew Brees return with his first game being in the playoffs. So now you got to start considering what your best option is 
to winning a playoff game if it's not Drew Brees, if he's not healthy enough to play, if he can't start. So for me, that answer is Jameis Winston. With the way this offense is constructed, with the, the flat-out talent he has in his arm, he's more suited to get the best out of this offense than Taysom Hill is. Let's look at the numbers. Taysom Hill right has started four games, including yesterday. In those four games, the Saints have averaged 24.2 points per game. With Drew Brees, under center, 30.1. So a touchdown less from Drew Brees to Taysom Hill. Now, not exactly crazy to think that the offense is going to take a step back when Drew Brees is not under center. I'm not saying that, that the, the mere fact that they're a touchdown worse is alarming. But here's what's also concerning, right? The offense has taken a dip, but here, here's, to me, another concerning factor. Taysom Hill in the first three games we saw was decent, and the offense moved okay. They looked okay. They, they looked competent, we'll say, when the team had the lead and could run the ball. Yesterday against Eagles was the first time in Taysom Hill's four starts where we saw this team have a deficit and have to play from behind for most and not all the game. And you know what? When you're winning, when you're going against inferior opponents like the Falcons twice and like the Broncos who have really no threat of any offense at all, you can afford to run the ball. You can afford to chew up clock. You can afford to have drive stall out. But like we saw yesterday in Philly, that Taysom Hill style of quarterback, isn't suitable when they are trailing. It's not conducive to leading teams back. He only had five rush attempts yesterday. A lot of those because the, the Saints were down the entire game. You can't run the ball as much. You can't chew up clock when you're trying to play catch-up. That's when I think when you make Taysom Hill a passing quarterback, whew, 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 Saints are in trouble. Saints are in real, real trouble. So let's start looking now at the landscape. Let's start looking forward. Right? Who are the teams that they'll be facing in the playoffs? Could be the Packers, Seahawks, Cardinals, Buccaneers, Rams. Do you feel better? Do you feel confident, I should say, that Taysom Hill can lead this Saints offense to keep up with the Packers, to keep up with the Seahawks, to outscore Kyler Murray, to score in this elite Rams defense, to score more than Tom Brady in this, even though they're struggling, this Tampa Bay offense? Who do you feel more confident in scoring more points in this offense? Taysom Hill or Jameis Winston? The answer is Jameis Winston. So now, when you don't have for sure a fact, a certainty that Drew Brees will be healthy, you basically don't know what you have. These last three weeks are a big mystery. And I know it's early on Monday, but with Adam Schefter's report yesterday, they're in no rush to return Drew Brees. They want to make sure he's fully healthy before they put him back on the field. I take that as he's not starting in the Chiefs game. He's throwing a tiny bit, it sounds like, in practice. But it also sounds like it's on the side. and He's not even engaging in practice yet. So now you're going to have two games at best, at absolute best, to try to get Drew Brees back in the fold, get him going again, try to knock off some of the rust, and try to play your best football going into January. There is a real possibility, there's a real chance that, guess what, Drew Brees is not healthy enough to return. And with that said now, you've gone from gauging the future, kind of just trying to stay competitive in the interim, waiting for Drew Brees to return, to now, shoot, he might not return. We, get, we might have to win a playoff game without Drew Brees as our quarterback. Are we really going to run Taysom Hill out there and try to win a playoff game with him? Or 
We have this talent at quarterback. Yes, he throws a lot of interceptions. Don't get me wrong. But I'm sorry. You can't tell me Jameis Winston gives this team a worse chance to win the taste. I, I just can't buy it. Especially when you are going against teams that can score a lot of points in the Packers and the Seahawks and the Cardinals and the Bucks and the Rams. I don't agree. And I don't think Taysom Hill is the quarterback to lead this team to the playoffs, lead them to a victory in the playoffs. So if it's still Super Bowl aspirations, if this team is still a legitimate title contender, it's time for Jameis Winston to take over at center, under center. It's time for Jameis Winston to be the quarterback of the Saints because now it's all about starting to look at your future without Drew Brees. You have to think of life without Drew Brees in the playoffs if that's going to come down to because right now there's no certainty, there's no guarantee. The good old number nine is going to be under center for you in Wild Card Weekend at home. So to me, the best chance you have to win is with Jameis Winston. you got to start getting him some reps, get him in the offense, get him going. That starts this week with Kansas City. So if I'm the Saints, if I'm Sean Payton, I am already now starting to think of my future without Drew Brees. I'm starting to prepare like Drew Brees can't play in the playoffs. That means I'm going to Jameis Winston. So I'm curious your thoughts. Should your mind in the Saints... Start Jameis Winston. If Drew Brees can't play, who do you feel more confident in winning a playoff game for New Orleans? Taysom Hill or Jameis Winston? I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'm fascinated. Because I was the guy telling you Taysom Hill should start in the interim. That was contingent upon Drew Brees coming back. Now that that is not a guarantee anymore like it was a few weeks ago, it's starting to think about your future. It's starting to think about the playoffs and the harsh reality that good old Drew Brees may not be able to suit up but you still need a chance to win. This is not a pack-it-up situation. This team, you know, was led by Drew Brees. Without him, they stink. And they're 3-1 and one with Taysom Hill under center. But with that said, I still think Jameis Winston gives this team the best chance to win, the best opportunity to score as many points as possible to keep up with these high-powered offenses. If you want to win the playoffs, you still want to have a chance to win the Super Bowl. To me, the answer is Jameis Winston. So I'm curious your thoughts. Worldwide Sports Network on Facebook, WWSRA underscore radio on Twitter, add Ryan Hickey Show also on Twitter. Should the Saints go to Jameis Winston? Jameis Winston to the rescue. Or should they stick with Taysom Hill in case or if the fact, I should say, Drew Brees can't return for the playoffs? So get your thoughts, and when we come back, quick hits. A little different. Hit on every single game in the NFL. Give me my quick thoughts before we get out of here. It is the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports. We see, I, 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 I told you, I jinxed it. I jinxed it. it. Said so far, no good, no hiccups. Still trying to knock the rust off, and what happens? We have that error. But hey, you know what? We are rolling here, and it is good to be back with you on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. A lot, lot, lot to get into. If you watched that Saints-Eagles game yesterday, and we'll get to Jalen Hurts here in a second, because, I do again, I do want to go around the league and give my thoughts on all uh, all the games that happened. But if you watched that Jalen Hurts performance yesterday, and more importantly, watch that Taysom Hill performance, and now coupled with the fact that Drew Brees may not return, his timetable is unknown, Saints aren't rushing him back, it's time to start thinking about life without Drew Brees in the playoffs. And if that's the case... Your best option to win a playoff game, in my mind, is Jameis Winston. So, time to get him some reps. Get him going. They play the Chiefs this week. 
Get Jameis Winston in the starting lineup. It's time to break glass in case of emergency. It's emergency time. Pull that lever. Let's go. This is DEFCON 5. Right? I think I did that right. DEFCON 0, DEFCON. I think it's DEFCON 5. 5 is the highest, right? Yeah. Code red. Well, code red. Sound the alarms. A five-alarm fire. I don't know why I'm just using all these analogies about disasters. But that's essentially what it is right now in, uh, in New Orleans without Drew Brees, or at least without the guarantee return of Drew Brees. So I'm curious your thoughts again. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. Also on Twitter, at Ryan Hickey Show. So further ado, it's a little bit different quick hits segment this week. Because usually just hit on a few storylines, kind of give you some of my thoughts. But instead, no, we're going to go through every single game really that we haven't hit on so far. We hit on the Packers earlier. We hit on, at least from the, the Saints perspective, hit on the Steelers. So we're going to hit on a lot of the other games we haven't covered. Because a lot happened in Week 14. Yes, Week 14. I, everything blends together, especially being home for three weeks. Time stands still. But Week 14 of the NFL season. Kansas City, the Chiefs at the Dolphins. Again, I've been saying this is not a new thought. I've been saying this now for weeks and weeks and weeks. You can't keep this Kansas City offense down. Dolphins were a great scoring defense team. They're second in the NFL in points per game allowed, 17.7. They forced three turnovers. So I told you, Patrick Holmes threw three interceptions. Dolphins already have a great scoring defense. You think, okay, you know what? Maybe the Dolphins win. If not, it's a very close game. And now it ended up being a close game. With that said, the Chiefs still scored 33 points. Can't keep them down. Keep them down for a half, a drive, a quarter, even maybe three quarters. If you're the 49ers, three and a half quarters. Doesn't matter. This offense is too talented. Andy Reid is too good of a play caller. Patrick Holmes is too good of a quarterback. Travis Kelsey is unguardable. Tyreek Hill is unguardable. You can only keep them down for so long. Your best bet, your only real hope of beating them is outscoring them. Dolphins just put that on display. You can make the plays on defense. They still are going to score. And they'll score in special teams. They'll return kicks. It's tough to keep them down. That's my thoughts on the Chiefs. Texans at the Bears. My goodness gracious. The Texans need help. Deshaun Watson is on a stranded island right now, on a desert island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. He has help spelled out on the sand, right, with with tree branches. He's trying to light a fire to get attention of a a plane passing or a boat passing. But right now, no one's in the area. Because right now, Deshaun Watson is in the black hole. Think about it. Will Fuller popped for PEDs. They released Kenny Stills. Brandon Cooks couldn't play. So you were left to just Kiki Cutie as the number one wide receiver for Deshaun Watson. If that's bad enough, right? If it's bad enough that you don't have a lot of weapons for Deshaun in offense. Look at what the Texans defense yesterday did. They allowed, let me just pull up to be exact here, to the Bears. They allowed 36 points. Now, I, I quickly am going to do some quick math. I didn't think about this until right now. I'm going to guess that is by far the most points scored by the, by the Bears this season. Let me double check here. They scored 30 points against the Falcons, and that's it. They scored 30 points against the Lions, 30 points against the Falcons, and now they scored 36 against the Texans. When you are allowing a Bears team led by Mitchell Trubisky to score 
points on you, score 36 points, your defense is in trouble, maybe even in more trouble than the offense. This is going to be, whoever the new head coach is, whoever the new GM is, this is going to be a tear it down to the studs rebuild. You have Deshaun Watson, you have the hope there, you have really the biggest ingredient that you need to have a successful team, but you have nothing around him, literally nothing. He is a sunflower in a desert. No one even knows how he's surviving, how he's thriving, but he is, and everything around him stinks. Flat out stinks. Whew. Offensively, defensively, the Texans need help. Deshaun Watson, these last three games, I'm praying for you, man. I really am. Andy Dolan. Nice for Andy Dolan. He made his return to Cincinnati. Cowboys defeat the Bengals. Two touchdown passes against his former team. Good for him. Now, with that said, Cowboys still have a hope of the division. No chance. They're going nowhere. Good for you, Andy Dalton. Nice little revenge game, if you will, beating your former team after they decided to cut you. Deservingly so. Not an outrageous thought. Maybe you thought maybe hold on to him for a year or so, but not exactly shocking or crazy that this, the Bengals had to move on from Andy Dalton to get Joe Burrow. But nonetheless, a nice return in your first return back to Cincinnati. Nice of you to get the win. Cardinals of the Giants. Cardinals got the win. I don't want to say dominated the game, but they basically well, controlled the game. That's a better word. They controlled the entire game. With that said, Arizona's offense didn't really instill any confidence that they could be legitimate playoff threats. They got back in the playoff hunt, right? They still now have the seventh seed because the Vikings lost. So they flip-flop with Minnesota. Murray didn't really get his legs going too much. He got a little bit going early. But I, said the, I thought the key to the Arizona offense is getting Murray back running. Not running 15 times or 20 times. We're running 8 times, 10 times. Not even on design runs, just scrambles when nothing, when no one's open. But this offense, ah, didn't really look good. They benefited from two Giants fumbles and really an inept Giants offense. They couldn't get the ball going at all. Took them to the third quarter to get over the 50-yard line. And despite having all these chances, right, despite having, you know, felt the Giants punted a million times, turned the ball over deep in their zone twice, Cardinals are just 2 of 7 in the red zone. A totally stark difference in what they've done this year, so maybe it's just a one-off. But the way this offense has been trending of late doesn't give me a lot of hope, a lot of confidence that going forward, Arizona, which I thought a few weeks ago could be a real playoff contender, you know, really, you know, maybe make some chaos in the NFC in a, in a conference where no one really has taken a hold of it. I don't really feel too much confidence. I mean, good for Cardinals to have to schneid there, but offensively, they still have a lot of work to do, and if they can't go in offensively, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Tennessee, Jacksonville, this was simple. If you can't stop Derrick Henry, you don't have a shot. 215 yards, two touchdowns for Derrick Henry. Good, good luck trying to stop any team, or good luck to any team trying to beat the Titans if Derrick Henry's running for 200 yards. Also found it really funny. 31-3 is, is what it took for the Jaguars to finally bench uh, Mike Lennon and put Gardner Minshew back in. And I love, as soon as they benched Glennon, Minshew leads them right down the field for a touchdown drive. It's clear the tank is on. It's clear Jacksonville still has their sights set on the number one pick. Good luck trying to get it from the Jets. We'll get to them in a second here. But they are obviously not putting their best quarterback in that has a chance to win. They are playing the long game. They are trying to get that top pick. And it's just funny. You see Gardner Mitchell finally get some action. Boom, touchdown right away. Jaguars know what they're doing. Minnesota at Tampa Bay. How in the world, watching this game, did Kirk Cousins go into the Dome last year with fans? Mind you, I know we haven't seen a game with, with a full stadium in a while. But let's not forget, 
even though this, ha this game happened in 2020, there was fans there. How did Kirk Cousins march into the Dome and beat the Saints in the playoffs? I don't understand it. Because yet again, here we are. The Vikings come out of nowhere. All of a sudden, benefit from the Cardinals slide. As we sat here yesterday, before the game started, the Vikings had the seventh and final playoff spot. They have climbed back. They have roared back. In a game that matters, again, against a playoff team in the Buccaneers, trying to keep momentum going, Kirk Cousins shrinks again. Shrinks again in the big moment, and I don't understand how he's able to win one playoff game. I understand, you know, even a blind squirrel finds a nut sort of analogy. But, man, this guy, 225 yards, he threw for a touchdown, sacked six times. And honestly, he felt like in the second half, he would drop back and just look down at the rush, and it was just like a wave coming. I just had zero confidence at all the Vikings were going to get anything going in offense. They backed up, and man, Kirk Cousins just continues to shrink in the big moment. It is. <sighs> now, if you can hear some frustration, part of this is because in the fantasy playoffs, I started both Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, and neither of them played well at all. Thank you to Kirk Cousins. All I need was you to throw to one of them. Maybe throw a touchdown to one, throw to the other a bunch. And Kirk Cousins instead just took sack after sack after sack. So, yes, a little bit is frustration. Because Kirk Cousins, I for whatever reason, you know what? No, it's not even frustration. It's stupidity on my part. Stupidity that in a big moment in fantasy football playoffs, I hitched my wagons to Kirk Cousins. I thought, you know what? He will find not one, two receivers. He'll throw the ball well enough to give both of them good numbers. What an idiot. Be more dumb. So I should be mad at myself. But I am also mad at Kirk Cousins. That concludes this fantasy football segment uh, of the show. Denver at Carolina. This is interesting because, look, Drew Locke balled out. right? Nice run for the Broncos. Four touchdown passes. This is going to be very interesting. Because I honestly don't have a read right now what the Broncos are going to do in this offseason. I think it's almost a lock Drew. Uh, Drew. Uh, Vic Fangio will be fired. I think they'll start over from scratch with the head coach. Question is, do they really tear it all down and get rid of Drew Locke and try to draft another quarterback? A lot of quarterbacks are going to be out there. There's a guy like Kyle Trask. There's a guy like Mac Jones. Maybe depending on how Trey Lance, what his, his, his combine numbers are, what the field is in the offseason, maybe if he falls down. Do the Broncos take a chance with a first-round quarterback and move out from Drew Locke? Four touchdowns yesterday, but overall, he has kind of struggled to read the field, had some immature moments. He's been an uh, on-and-off, hot-and-cold quarterback. Um, yesterday he was hot, but there were some, also some downs as well. So I'm very interested because I really don't know so far what the direction of the Broncos is going to be. I am very interested. That's a team that I'm going to be fascinated to see what they do in the offseason. Saints at the Eagles. I hit it on from the Saints' perspective. I won't hit on the Eagles, though, because Jalen Hurts provided a real spark to this offense. Running game got going, no surprise, not only with him, but with Miles Sanders. And it's interesting, too, because it took... Now, I advocated for Carson Wentz to be benched two weeks ago, I think. The last week or two weeks ago. I thought it was a smart move because, you know what? He looked lost. The offense looked stagnant. And it just looked like they, everyone, I should say, could benefit from a change of scenery. Bring in a new quarterback, Jalen Hurts, the young guy, mobile can make plays with his leg. Just give some excitement to this offense because it looked stale. It looked bland. It looked flat-out lifeless with Carson Wentz. And for, again, Wentz was bad. He had his own issues. But a lot of other offensive line, wide receiver, running back, there was a lot of other issues, play calling. A lot went into it. And at least for one game against a, a pretty good team and a pretty good defense, 
that offense looked like it had some life. It was injected with some fun. Miles Sanders breaks off a massive run. He goes over 100 yards. Jalen Hurts goes over 100 yards on the ground. Jalen Rager actually looked like, you know, they, they finally used him in my, in my mind for the first time all season how he was supposed to be used. And he was drafted as wide receiver. But Jalen Rager is sort of a gadget kind of receiver. He's not a Tyreek Hill where he's super fast but also a good receiver. He's a guy to me that you just put in space. A little two-yard screen, boom, let him run. Reverse, let him run. And they did that. 66 yards, not a lot, right? Not, not a game where you look at, wow, 66 yards. Jalen Rager really had a great game. That's the most total yards he's had all season. So in a year that's been a bust so far for Rager, in a year that everyone, when you look at Justin Jefferson, say, oh, what could have been? Man, really missed that one. They see Jalen Rager actually get used for the first time how he's supposed to be used. And again, without a doubt, obviously, having a mobile quarterback that can make plays with his feet really made the offensive line better. So, I mean, at this point, I think it's Jalen Hurts' job for the rest of the season. Figure out what you got, and in the offseason, it's going to be an interesting conversation. The Carson Wentz cap hit is huge. You can kind of you can try to flatten it out over time um, in a trade, but it's going to be a very interesting proposition. If Jalen Hurts plays well, you have to a real decision to make if you're uh, Doug Peterson, if he's around, or is it time to move out from Carson Wentz? Colts at the Raiders. I'm telling you, the Colts are really starting to ride into form. Yesterday's game, a flat-out domination of the Raiders, very impressive. They're running the ball really well, 212 rushing yards. Jonathan Taylor really had the best game of the season, 150 rushing yards. Phillip Rivers, something I would not think I'd be saying here on December 14th, he's playing really well. I shouldn't say really well. He's playing good enough. 244 yards, two touchdowns. More importantly, the biggest stat with Phillip Rivers, zero INTs. The more he hangs on to the ball, the better this Colts offense is. He is doing, right now, this Colts offense is, is hitting their perfect stride. Yesterday was the perfect offensive game for the Colts. Establish the run, run it well. Phillip Rivers makes some throws, use play action, throw the ball in space, don't turn it over, and take advantage of the defense when they try to come up to stop the run. And man, I'll say this. If T.Y. Hilton continues to play the way he's been playing the last few weeks. He is heating up at the perfect time. This Colts offense could go to another level if he continues his play. 86 yards, two touchdowns yesterday. Four now touchdowns in the last three games. But why that's significant? He had zero touchdowns the first nine games of the year. So he is starting to get featured by Phil Burris. They're starting to have a real connection, whether it's health, whether it's familiarity, continuity. T.Y. is starting to get open open a lot, and now he is scoring touchdowns and making big plays. That's going to be a real problem for defenses if that continues in the playoffs. And quickly from the Raiders' perspective, I know they fired Paul Gunther, their defense coordinator yesterday. That defense, man. <laughs> L-O-L. Speaking of laughing out loud, Jets at Seahawks. That's the only way. <laughs> that's the best way I'm going to put it out there. This game is just a laugher. Not surprising. Seahawks need a get-right game. Jets, perfect. Basically, a JV squad on the field right now. Sam Darnold, I, I, get him out of there. He needs some help. Everyone needs a change, change of scenery. This team needs a big makeover. <sighs> Three more games, Jets fans. That's all. Three more games of misery before you hope 
Not my doubts, but you hope they could turn the corner. Washington football team, the first place Washington football team. They beat the 49ers. Now, look, this offense flat out is tough to watch. But the good news for the football team, you know whose offense is also tough to watch? The New York Giants. Because that, right now, that's the team you're competing with to get to the playoffs. Giants lose. You win. You take a one-game lead in the NFC East. Now, especially if Antonio Gibson can't play. They're a great running back who has turf toe. This offense, it's going to be tough. We'll see with Alex Smith what the deal is. He missed the second half yesterday with a calf injury. I believe it's the same leg that, unfortunately, he flat-out shattered a few years ago. So, hopefully, there's no complications or there's no connection to that. I'm not really sure. We haven't had too many details come out of that game yet. But Dwayne Haskins, he could be the guy going forward. That's going to be very, very interesting. Because I'll say this. If you missed the game, you didn't miss much. It's hard to have a lot of success when all of the touchdowns you score in the game come from the defensive side. They had a pick six and a Chase Young scoop and score touchdown. That was it. That was the only two touchdowns the football team scored yesterday over the 49ers. Picked a bunch of field goals, won the game. But you're not going to have much success at all when all of your, your touchdowns are coming from the defensive end. I'm going to say not a, um, a sustainable strategy if you're the football team to have success. But three games left. They are in first place. And again, the good news for them with their inept offense is the Giants offense is just as inept. So just be better than the worst. You should still win this division, but it's going to be close. It's going to be a dogfight. The better offense is going to win. It's not going to take much, but man, it was ugly. But hey, a win's a win, right? WFT, a win is a win. You are 1-0, and you are that much closer to hosting. Host the playoff game. Well, and finally, this is the matchup. Honestly, I, I'm mad at myself that I didn't really notice this matchup until really the game played out. Falcons at the Chargers. Two teams that are professionals at screwing up late leads. Two teams that are professionals at not finishing games. Matt Ryan interception. Justin Herbert interception. Matt Ryan interception. Eventually the Chargers do win on the last second field goal. They are on the flip side of a last second win instead of all of those last second losses. Two quick things. One, is Matt Ryan washed up? Because the stats don't bear it out completely. Like the, the, the numbers are still decent. He's not, you know, Peyton Manning in 2015 bad, where it's just he's just throwing up ducks and looking lost. When you look at the talent that the Falcons have with Calvin Ridley, I know Julio Jones has been in and out of the lineup. When he's been in, the offense has still struggled. When he's been out, Calvin Ridley is still a number one receiver. So it's not like the offensive wide receiving depth takes a massive hit. Say what you want about Todd Gurley. He's not great. Tight ends are pretty good. But Matt Ryan throws three picks yesterday. Really, this is now the fifth game in the last six where he just hasn't looked comfortable. He doesn't really know. doesn't look like he, he understands defenses. He has struggled to move the ball, and the Falcons have struggled to score points really outside of that Raiders game, which, as we know, the Raiders defense. <laughs> oh, we just laugh. So I, I feel like Matt Ryan should be better considering the talent on this offense. And I know he's been a name not thrown around too much, but there was always a thought that, hey, you know what? If the 49ers move on from Jimmy G this offseason, could Matt Ryan reconnect with his old offensive coordinator that he won the MVP with back in 2016 with, with Kyle Shanahan? If I'm Kyle Shanahan, I'm looking like, hell no. I'd rather keep Jimmy G than bring Matt Ryan over here. I wonder, like, the Falcons are in another tough spot because, again, the cap 
is really preventative. The massive number that Matt Ryan has paid, I think, really hurts their, their chances at all to try to move on from him next year. So whether it's drafting a new quarterback and sitting him or just benching Matt Ryan despite the, the massive salary he's getting, the new head coach in Atlanta and the new general manager with the Falcons this offseason is going to have quite the conundrum because Matt Ryan is not playing well at all. I honestly start to think this is the beginning of the end for him. Um, and you are still tied to him for a very long time. So that's really it for quick hits for week 14. A little bit different than normal. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully we kept it fresh and exciting and interesting. If not, well, that was a big waste of your time, and I apologize. So any thoughts? What was your biggest takeaway from week number 14? Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network. Twitter, WWSR underscore radio. Or on Twitter as well, tweet me directly, at Ryan Hickey Show. We finish up next with the Cleveland Browns, a preview for the Monday night football game. The revenge tour for Cleveland starts tonight. I'll explain why next. It is the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And we are back here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. One last segment as we return from a three-week hiatus. In case you're just joining us right now, welcome. Hopefully we're starting your morning off on a good note. I was in quarantine, had a close contact um, with a family member who had the old COVID. Thankfully, all good. Two-week quarantine was interesting. Glad to be out. It's been a long three weeks. It definitely, uh, it was interesting to say the least for sure. Uh, but definitely so good to be back because, man, I'll say this. It was very tough watching all these games, having thoughts, and only having two minutes on Instagram or uh, 240 characters on Twitter to give all my blazing hot sports takes. Mostly wrong. So probably, honestly, these three weeks actually helped me. It wasn't, didn't look as dumb as I usually do. But, hey, that's why we're back here and spewing out more, more thoughts. So I'd love to hear, again, your thoughts. One last segment to get your final um, opinions, reactions to week number 14 in the NFL. We hit on a lot of stuff. Packers, if they get the number one seed, because currently they are slaughtered right there, I don't think anyone is going to Lambeau and beating them. The Saints, you started uh, Taysom Hill, you lose for the first time. You're 3-1 with Taysom Hill. But with the report coming out by Adam Schefter on Sunday that the uh, Saints are not going to rush Drew Brees back, that instead that they're going to take their time, make sure he's fully healed for bringing him back, you guys start thinking about now what life is like without Drew Brees in the playoffs. You know what that means in my mind? Starting Jameis Winston. I think that's the only solution. I do not trust and I do not think Taysom on the playoffs is a good thing for the Saints. This roster is still very good. Jameis Winston takes his offense and elevates them to the next level. Something Taysom Hill, I believe, cannot do. And it's time to start Jameis getting him going now. Start him this week against the Chiefs. you got to give him three games, get his footing, try to get acclimated as much as you can with this offense or as much as you can with these players. And start preparing in case of emergency if the worst-case scenario strikes and Drew Brees cannot return for the playoffs healthy. Sears' regression is real in my mind. The Sears have gone from a team that, you know what, I still thought that's an intimidating matchup going to Pittsburgh, not a team you want to play in the playoffs, to now if you're the Colts, if you're the Ravens, if you're the Browns, if you're the Dolphins. But whoever gets that 
seventh seed or sixth seed, depending on how the final standings shake out, you are looking towards Pittsburgh to want to play. Because if your options are Pittsburgh, Tennessee, Buffalo, I'll tell you what team I'm not trying to play is Buffalo. But now you see the struggles, especially offensively, from the Steelers team. They're looking more and more likely. You know what? I want to play that game. That's a game where if I'm the Browns, if I'm the Colts, if I'm the Dolphins, if I'm the, uh, the Ravens, I'm feeling confident I can go in there and win. Maybe an upset point spread-wise, but not an upset in my mind. So, man, the Steelers have really fallen. Still 11-2, but this offense has given you no faith that they can turn it around and be successful. Speaking of the NFC or the AFC North, I want to hit on a team specifically, or really two teams. And they both play tonight, the, the Ravens and the Browns on Monday Night Football. Now, sure, the Ravens right now are on the outside looking into the playoffs. Right? They, they need this game more than the Browns to make the playoffs because the Browns are 9-3. and three. They're basically a lock for the playoffs. They're still the Jets. They're still the Giants to play. Browns are going to the playoffs. It's about seeding for them and trying to hit their stride. They've won four in a row. They're playing hot. So it's a lock. But for me, this game is more important for Cleveland's perspective, and here's why. This game, like I said, it's not about making the playoffs for the Browns. This game is about how potent the Browns will be once they make the playoffs. This is a great measuring stick game. This is a great revenge tour game for the Browns to extract their revenge on the Ravens and start to lay the foundation that, guess what, this is no pushover. Sure, that you know, this is the first time they'll make the playoffs in a while, but they are here to stay. They are here to make some noise. The revenge tour starts with the Browns tonight on Monday Night Football. Because two of their losses, right, they're 9-3. Two of the losses have come in blowout, embarrassing fashion. To the Ravens, to the Steelers. Lost to the Ravens the first game of the year. All of that hype for the second offseason in a row. All the excitement surrounding Cleveland, the playoff predictions. Well, Cleveland was a very popular playoff pick. Not as popular as two years ago, where some people had him go to the Super Bowl. But this was the year that, okay, they're going to finally put it together. Kevin Stefanski is head coach. They addressed the offensive line. They still got some weapons. They, they made the defense a little bit better. This is the year the, the Browns should make the playoffs. First game of the year, they lose to the Ravens 38-6. A few weeks later, they followed that up by losing to the Steelers 38-7. Blowout games looked outclassed, flat-out embarrassed. For the, Ravens, I mean, for the, the Browns, this is important because they've proven this season they can beat the bad teams. They have gotten to the level where consistently there's no doubt they will beat the teams worse than them. There's no real worry of a letdown. There's no real struggle in beating the bad teams. The next step for them is to prove that they are not a pushover in the playoffs. They won't be an easy out. They won't be a team, if you're the Bills, if you're the Steelers, if you're the Titans, that you're circling saying, hell yeah, we got the Browns this week. First round, let's go, baby. Let's start looking at round number two. It's going to be an easy rollover win. That starts tonight for Cleveland. They assert their dominance. They assert that they are no pushover. They assert that you better not overlook them because they will go in there and punch you in the mouth, and that starts tonight. Because right now, with the way this team is playing, they can extract revenge. If they can go to the schoolyard bully in the Ravens who beat them up last year, who beat them up earlier this year, push them around, if they can go defend their home field, not be intimidated by the Ravens, and instead, go beat them. This will show the mental makeup of Cleveland. I think that's a very important factor. 
Because on the field so far, this team is starting to hit their stride play-wise. Baker Mayfield, really starting to play well. Hasn't thrown a pick in his last five games, six touchdown passes in the last two. So he's taking care of the ball. And for all the flack that he got of not throwing touchdown passes in a while, he, he went and stretched out throwing the touchdown passes. Now, again, no one wants to point out that they played three straight games at home in horrendous weather, rain, wind, not ideal conditions to throw the ball. But hey, now that conditions have settled down, now that he's actually getting to throw the ball more, he's lighting teams up. Asked the Tennessee Titans in the first half last week. So if he could continue that play, if this is not a mirage, if this is not just a two-game stretch where he's gotten, not lucky, but just feeling in the groove, but really he's going to regress back to the meeting. If he could continue to play this style of football where he is dynamic off play action, where he's hitting the open receiver, reading the defenses correctly, Cleveland's going to be a really tough out, man. They're going to be a really tough out in the playoffs. Because they've shown they can run the ball. 157 rushing yards per game, number two in the NFL. Fourth in all the NFL in yards per rush with almost five yards per carry. They're at 4.9. So almost any time they run the ball, it's second and five. Third and five. Third and three. They are, they are getting themselves ahead of the chains, and guess what that is doing? Getting in those second and five, third and three, second and three situations, you're opening up play action for Baker Mayfield, and when he is on, when that is open, when teams are stepping up to try to stop the run, Baker Mayfield has been able to burn defenses deep this year. 967 yards off play action that he's thrown for this year. Fifth most in the NFL. So when you are playing to stop the run, when you are trying to slow down Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, you're dedicating seven, eight guys to slow down the run. Guess what Baker Mayfield is doing? Beating you over the top. If that can continue, look out. Look out. So sure, heading to tonight's game, the Ravens are a very desperate uh, team that needs a win. But they're on the outside looking in. They need this game more than the Browns do. Browns are already locked into the playoffs. 9-3, they're going in. But this is a bigger game for the Browns, in my mind. Because this will show everyone how big of a playoff threat they can be this postseason. This Ravens come to town tonight. In a few weeks, the Steelers come to town as well. Two opportunities to extract some revenge, push around the schoolyard bully that bullied you, pushed you around, embarrassed you earlier this year, and show that, you know what, we're not going to get clowned. We're not going to be embarrassed. We are here, and we are here to play. We are here to win. So I'm very excited, and I think the Browns will win tonight. I do. I'm feeling good about Cleveland. I think this is a, a perfect opportunity for them on the big stage to really have everyone start taking them seriously. They're one of those teams that they are an emotional team led by their leader, Baker Mayfield. I think the emotion, when channeled correctly, will this team to great heights? I think that starts again tonight. Beating the Ravens, getting their revenge, and I think going forward, this Browns team is going to show they are a tough out. How's it going to do it for this edition of the Ryan Hickey Show? Really appreciate all of you who tuned in and listened. Couldn't have done without you. Whether it's on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, whether it was on Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, whether it was on our great app, WWSRN on iOS, Worldwide Sports Radio Network on Android, YouTube, Worldwide Sports Network. As you can see, we are all over the digital, digital platform. So throw us a like on Facebook. Make sure to like us on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Periscope. Download the app. 
a lot of great, incredible shows are up and down this lineup, day and night, weekend, weeknight, morning, afternoon, night. Fantasy football. Al Marks, if you heard on this show a bunch of times, hosts great shows on Monday and Wednesday, down to the wire below the mic. There is so much good content. The hit list, and go on and on and on. And it's continuing to grow. So again, make sure you like us on Facebook, like us on YouTube, or I guess subscribe on YouTube is really the, the phrase. I apologize. Follow us on Twitter. Download the app. You won't be disappointed. You'll be always in the loop with everything that's going on with the Worldwide Sports Network. So again, appreciate you tuning in. So, so nice to be back with you. Talk some sports. We'll be back on Thursday with a great Hickey's Pickies guest. I'll leave you with this. I'll leave you with a big tease for a three-day tease. The nickname of our Hickey's Pickies guest is Johnny G-String. So, yeah, anyone with the nickname Johnny G-String will be a very interesting guest. He'll do Hickey's Pickies. It should be a lot of fun. So talk to you on Thursday. Stay safe. Stay sane. We'll talk to you on Thursday, as always, on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.